Uh, so now, let's grab your Bibles and turn to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. By the way, I'm just so grateful for Pastor Kyle having come here from Carolina's last Sunday and just spent the morning with us. I'll tell you, I, as I listen to him online, I just love being around guys who have a passion like that to share the grace story of Jesus Christ. And uh, evangelism is not my strength, and I love being around people like that who spur me on and help, and uh, we work together as a team. So grateful for him and his time. Genesis chapter 1, uh, we're going there because uh, the presence of the Lord is, has been for all time that we know of. And it, Christmas is not a Jesus is present with us only at that time, if you will. It's from the beginning to the end. And so we're going to start in the beginning and, and take a look because the fact of the matter is we see Jesus in verse 1. Um, and we're going to uh, uh, talk about that here and hit on that. So let's start with the Genesis beginning with the person of the birth was present in the beginning. You there, Genesis chapter 1, verse 1? You there? All right, Bible's open, ready to go, rock and roll? Let's do it, Genesis chapter 1, first three words in the beginning. Fourth word is what? Okay, we literally, I, I would love, maybe someday we'll do it, I would love to spend a whole Sunday on the first actual five words of this text because there's theology contained within these words that is just massive. First of all, let me just point out that God was in the beginning. Now, that doesn't mean that God started here. This is when we started. In the beginning, it's the beginning for us, but God was already there in the beginning. So the, uh, the Godhead has been from eternity past, okay? The Godhead has been from when? Eternity past. Uh, get, get, wrap that around your head? Can't. But he was. Eternity past. In the beginning, God. And God in the beginning did something. What's, what's the verb? What did he do? That's really important here. This tells us so much about God, and I don't have the time to go into all the details and ramifications of it, but it's not God is not sitting on his porch bored. God is not lonely. Uh, God is not uh, twiddling his thumbs. He's not, uh, I don't know, he's doing this, I do know. He's creating. He created, and what did he create? You tell me. <laughs> Can we all agree that's a lot? Right? The heavens and the earth, can you just try and picture that in your head? Like the Godhead there, and it's like, speak, and it happens. That's what all Genesis chapter 1 is about. And the Godhead created. Well, Doug, I don't see Jesus in this passage. I might, by the way, mention uh, verse 2. You see at the end of verse 2, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters, but we don't have time for that one. Um, but I do want for you to do this. Go to John chapter 1. Because Jesus was there. He was there. John chapter 1, verse 1. I love hearing pages of the Bible turn. Sweet sound. You can't do that on an iPhone. <laughs> you need to program that in somewhere. Look at the first words of uh, John chapter 1. In the beginning... That sounds familiar, doesn't it? It's like a restatement, a restatement of Genesis chapter 1, started here in John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was, oh, this is interesting, the word. Like, what word was that? It sounds like Sesame Street. No. And the word today is? 
Uh, what word is that? Well, let's keep reading. And the word was with God. Uh, that's interesting. So it was with God. And the word, oh, and the word was God. Was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. You got the picture? Uh, essentially, we call it the Godhead. In the beginning, there was a Godhead. And one of the Godhead was called the Word here in John chapter 1, verse 1. And, and the Word was the one of the Godhead that did the creating of it all. That's what the text says, right? Right? That's what it says. Uh, look at verse 14, John chapter 1. Who is the Word? And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Uh, John is telling us here that this is Jesus. Hey, friends. The baby was the one who created everything. Do you know that? Do you see that at this time of year? That little baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, cloths, clothes, whatever, that little baby created everything. You know, all the stuff that science hasn't yet figured out, that little baby's got it all figured out because that little baby created it all. There's a mad scientist born about 4 BC. That's the baby. Genesis 1, John 1, also go to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. Paul's writing to the church in Colossae, and he's giving us some more filling in on explaining who Jesus is. And in verse 16, it starts by, for by him, and the him is Jesus Christ. So let me read it with a name so that it follows through. For by Jesus Christ, all things were created. Well, that sounds like John 1. That also sounds like Genesis 1. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. Boy, he's got his hands like in it all. All things were created through him, through Jesus Christ, and for Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ is before all things, and in Jesus Christ, all things hold together. That little baby has it all together. Has it all together. Holds it all together. Friends, I just want to step out of the manger scene just for a moment. Walking down the Via Della Rosa to the cross. Could you imagine being the one who created everything? And then if you want to go to Psalm 139, take a look in Psalm 139. It tells about how he was the one who created every person, even before you were even known of. He's created. Can you imagine walking down the Via Della Rosa to die on the cross for the people that you created and then spitting on you, beating the living life out of you? And you have the ability to crush and annihilate them righteously in a judgment in a moment. That was the baby in the manger. This ain't no regular baby as we start this Christmas season. This ain't no regular baby. He was all the way from the beginning. Now, he's the one of the eternal Godhead. This is God in the flesh. Crazy, crazy wild. Also, he created the whole known universe. And that includes you. This baby is very personal to you and me. Our creator came in the flesh 
and dwelt among us. And the nativity scene pictures all of that theology. So I would suggest this, as you're going to be hearing me talk here. I'm going to lay out on the table that December this year become a month where you, if you will, fall on your knees more than you ever have before. I don't want this December like last December. I don't want this December like last December like the last December. Like the one before and the one before and the one before. And here we go again. It's Christmas time again. Everybody get holiday cheer. Hey, I'm all about that. But I want to tell you something. Let's step it up this December and let's see the creator in the baby. He's all there. Person of the birth was present in the beginning. Secondly, the person of the birth has been, uh, modern day term, geocached throughout history. I don't know if you know about geocaching. I don't know much about it. So uh, um, I'll just tell you what I understand. Uh, geocaching is kind of a, a game that goes on. And uh, with GPS and uh, coordinates now, you can like coordinate every spot on the planet. I mean, we carry it in our pockets where exactly where we're at. And, and, and the more geocache clues you have, uh, the more ability you are to define down. And, and then there'll be like, you know, find the golden nugget at, at this place. And, and then there's some clues and you can kind of narrow it down. Maybe some of you have done that before or, or do that. But that's what geocaching is. And, and I'm kind of bringing a modern day term into the reality from the Old Testament. The messianic prophecies are geocache clues all to one that is going to be coming. And I want for us to dive into these. Uh, turn to Genesis chapter 3. Uh, this, is, uh, this is amazing, amazing stuff. Genesis chapter 3. We're right after Genesis chapter what? 2. You're with me. All right. Genesis chapter 3. In Genesis chapter 2, we find out that Adam and Eve are, are created and are alive. Genesis chapter 3, in the beginning, we find that uh, they disobey God and they sin. Sin now enters the picture. And uh, I want for us to look over at verse 14, because after sin entered the picture, uh, God steps in and God has a conversation with Satan, with uh, Eve, and with Adam. And I want for us to take a, a little bit of a look at his conversation with Satan here, very first one. And the Lord God said, verse 14, to the serpent, verse 15, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring, but he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Kind of sounds like a rhyme, kind of like a, a, a play on words, but this is like a clue. It is. That's exactly what this is. And in fact, in the context of this, what's happening is God is addressing Satan. He's cursing him. Uh, he says that there's going to be an offspring from the woman that's going to be a male, by the way. And it's male because in the Hebrew, uh, it's a male form of the gender of the terminology. So I can just say it this way. It's already narrowed 50%. Uh, we know that one is coming and one is coming that's going to be a male and one is coming is going to be a male and born of the woman. By the way, I think that's a big deal because here at the very beginning of creation, I mean, uh, God could do anything. Like he could drop an, an alien out of the sky or someone just pop in. Uh, but this is actually going to be one who's going to be born from the woman who is going to do something and have something happen to him. Uh, one of the things that's going to happen to him is his heel is going to be bruised. But what that's talking about is, is essentially, Satan, you're going to be able to deal a, a, an injury blow, but he's going to deal you a deathly blow. Now, that's what's going on here. 
Hey, in this first clue, this tells us a few things. Number one, God is not surprised by what's happening here. God's not like, oh man, plan B, C, or D. God knew what's going on. God already had a plan in place, knowing exactly what's taking place. So can I just reassure all of us, God is in full control. He knows everything that's happening. And we lived in a pretty messed up, screwed up world right now. But I want for you to know, he knows exactly what's happening and it's okay. I'm not saying life's going to get easy and we're all going to be lottery winners. I'm just saying that he's in control. In fact, as I understand the rest of the story, it's going to get worse before it gets better. But he's in control, even in the worst of it all. Uh, he's in control. Also, we see in this fact here, as he's talking about this, is, is he has a full plan that's going on, and he has one that's going to do some kind of get-you-back-Satan thing. <laughs> okay? Uh, Doug, are you saying that Jesus is right here in Genesis 3.15? Yes, I am. Well, I don't see him there in 3.15. I got gotcha, you, but here's the cool thing. God doesn't give just one clue. He gives a bunch more. So I want for us to go, and along with this one, I want to pick off seven other geocache clues that allow us to narrow in over redemptive history through the Old Testament that there is one who is coming that, that is going to be this one. And by the way, a couple of years ago, I went through in longer uh, time with, with the church family here. I'm going to sum it up here for us, but this is awesome stuff. Let's do some math. Here we go. Geocache prophecy number one, Genesis 3.15, and it's this, a male offspring of a woman. And I know it's really small. Hang in there. Uh, we'll see what's happening. Geocache prophecy number two, Genesis 2, uh, 22.18. You don't have to turn there, but it tells about that this one is going to be coming from the line or from the seed of Abraham. That's a big deal. We know it's a male. We know it's coming from a woman. Now we find out that it's going to be one coming from Jewish descent. That narrows it in big time. Let's go to geocache prophecy number three, Genesis 49.10. Tells us that this one is going to come from the tribe of Judah. Well, that's helpful because Jacob had 12 sons, 12 sons uh, who uh, birthed, if you will, 12 tribes. Now we have 11 tribes are eliminated. We know of one tribe that this one is going to be coming from over God's revelation. Uh, geocache number four, Isaiah 11.1 1 says he's going to be from the line of Jesse. Well, that's helpful because that narrows it from the entire tribe of Judah to one family within the tribe of Judah. And that's the family, Jesse's family. But it doesn't stop there. Prophecy number five, Jeremiah 23.5, it says that this one is going to come from the house of David. Well, that's cool because Jesse had at least eight sons and we know that it's out of this son's line. So we know this, one's coming. God's got to get all in control. And he tells us just so far in five clues, he says that it's going to be, he's going to be a male, born of a woman, of the Jewish descent, tribe of Judah, family of Jesse, line of David. Let me add three more. Geocache prophecy number six, Daniel 9.25. It tells us that uh, this one is going to appear after the rebuilding of Jerusalem. Now he starts giving some time. In redemptive history, there's a time where this one's going to come. Then we go to prophecy number seven, Micah 5, 2. We know the place. What was the place? 
Bethlehem. That's what Micah 5, 2 tells us is going to be uh, born in Bethlehem. Then we have geocache prophecy number 8. Psalm 72, 10 tells us a little bit about the scene surrounding the birth and the, really the years after. Uh, and that is that there are going to be some king-like people who come and bring gifts. Eight clues. Eight clues. Now, Peter Stoner, a mathematician who... Uh, high mathematician, he had done a bunch of study on all of this. And he uh, did some work mathematically on what are the odds of one person fulfilling eight prophecies. What are the odds of one person fulfilling eight of these geocache clues that I just put out on the table? And the number is one to ten, one in ten to the 17th power. In other words, uh, that number. Okay, that's a big number. Now, it's hard to grab a hold of how big this number is. Let me give you a couple things around with it. Uh, if uh, The odds of dying in a plane crash is uh, 1 in 354,000, so about that big. The odds of getting hit by lightning are 1 in 700,000. The odds of becoming a billionaire are actually 1 in 7 million. Uh, that's a big number, but that's like only that part of that. The odds of becoming president of the United States, for me, is impossible, but by stats is uh, one in 10 million. The odds of having just potentially won the Powerball lottery was one in 175 million. Now, I decided this week not to buy my lottery ticket because, just kidding, <laughs> because uh, the odds were too high. One in 175 million. Uh, 175 million is contained within these first uh, nine digits. And this number is a lot bigger than that. What are the odds of one person fulfilling eight Old Testament prophecies? Let me put that in view. Stoner uh, compared it to this. Uh, take a silver dollars, fill the state of Texas two feet deep with silver dollars. Uh, state of Texas is seven times the size of Indiana. That's a big place. Fill it two feet deep with silver dollars. Blindfold yourself. Have someone fly you over Texas. And at any point in time, you can uh, say, I want to jump out now. Unblindfold yourself. Jump out of the plane. Uh, when you're Right after you hit, blind yourself back. Then you can go around and you can grab one silver dollar that you want out of anywhere in the state of Texas of two feet deep of silver dollars, and the one that you pick is one that was marked out of all of them. That's the odds of that. That's the odds of doing that. But here's the deal. There weren't eight prophecies about the one coming. Uh, there were more than that. In fact, uh, Stoner did some work. What if it was 48 prophecies? Uh, well, the statistical odds are 1 in 10 to the 157th power a bigger number. So we need to change silver dollars to electrons. Electrons, uh, they're that negatively charged part of, a, of an atom. An electron is one one thousandth the size of the, uh, what is it, the uh, proton, 1,800 times lighter than a proton. I can't grasp all this. But here's the deal. Take 2.5 times 10 to the 15 electrons put them all side by side, that many electrons will form a one-inch line. So they're small. 
Now, if you began to count all of these electrons and you counted 250 a minute for 24-7 a week, you know, 24-7, it would take you 19 million years to count that one-inch line. Now, we're not at 10 to the 157th power. Now, take that, and if you want, draw a little one-inch box on your notes. And now that one-inch line now covers a one-inch box. Uh, that one-inch box, to count all the electrons in that one-inch uh, flat box, not three-dimensional, but flat, would take you 19 million years times 19 million years times 19 million years to count that box. But here's the deal. There's not 48 prophecies. There's some 324 prophecies. I couldn't get all zeros on the screen. I don't have any idea what the odds are. But I'll just go this. One in 10 to the impossible. That one person could fulfill every one of these prophecies that have been given throughout history. But friends, guess what? Someone did. And that one is born in Bethlehem, line of David, line of Jesse, tribe of Judah, line of Abraham, male born of a woman. You know, one of these things with this I, I so love about this is it just makes me sit back and I sit and I go, and people say this is blind faith. Hey, just do the math. Just do the math. Do the math and then fall on your knees. That's the reality here. This faith thing is not some willy-nilly, wiffle-dusty, touch-feel-good kind of a thing. We can put numbers to this, reality to this. The baby in the manger was the one who created all things, all things seen, all things unseen, all things known, all things unknown. The baby created all of that. And the math is in the baby. The math is in the baby, friends. This is way bigger than just a baby born on a snowy night in Israel. <laughs> this is way more than a drummer boy. This is about the Godhead coming in the flesh. Amazing. Well, I also want to note this. The birth, the person of the birth, is not just about what's in the rear view mirror. The person of the birth also represents what's ahead down the road. And turn to Revelation chapter 5. The person of the birth was present in the beginning. The person of the birth was, has been geocached throughout all history and prophecies. The uh, person of the birth, third, reigns for all eternity. Revelation. Revelation written by John. We're jumping into chapter 5. Uh, John is... Uh, uh, been allowed to step into, uh, let's call it the throne room of the Godhead. Let's read, starting in verse 1. 
John says, Then I saw on the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals, and I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy? I would encourage you to underline that, circle that, square that, uh, mark that in your Bible, because those three words are the key three words for what's to unfold. There's a question on the table. Who is worthy to open these seals? Who is worthy to open this scroll? Who is worthy to open it? Verse 3, and no one in heaven, no one on earth, no one under the earth was able to open the scroll and to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, weep no more, John. Behold, look at this. This is so awesome. The lion, the tribe of Judah, the root of David. Why is that a big deal? Because you go all the way back in history past. was told that this one was going to be of the tribe of Judah, the root of David. Friends, what's been given in the past has big implication for what's ahead. And what's ahead is confirmed in all of this reality here, what's being stated. The lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered. Ah, that's awesome. So that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing. Are you picturing this in your mind? Between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain. Hmm, I wonder who that is. With seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent out into all the earth, and he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne, the Father. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayer of the, prayers of the saints. That's cool. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you? The question's answered. Who's worthy? Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals. And you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe, from every language, from every people, from every nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priest to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. My friends, that's the baby. Turn to Revelation 19. Revelation 19. May I note, by the way, in Revelation 5, that the one who was slain is alive. He's been resurrected from the dead. All of this just continues to fold in a redemptive story. It's not little pieces that are like awkwardly connected together. This is a perfect line of God's work throughout all of the past, into the present, and into the future. Revelation 19, let's pick up there. Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, John tells us, a white horse. Love that. I'll bet this is an awesome horse. I mean, like coming out of heaven, none of these like Mr. Ed kind of things. I mean, we're talking, I'm just picturing like this studly, manly, just muscular, like I could chew you up, horse, right? Come on, work with me. 
okay? I mean, this white horse coming, and here it is, and the one sitting on it. I mean, this is like, this is the manly horse, and the one that's sitting on it is like this. He is called faithful and true, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. And his eyes are like a flame of fire. By the way, that's not the moment I picture flame of fire coming out of eyes that I want to sit and cuddle on your lap. This is coming out to, this one on the horse is coming to do a judgment task. And the flames are coming out of his eyes. And on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe. Dipped in blood. I wonder who this is. And the name by which he is called is the John 1, the word of God. Again, do you see the line? Everything is connecting. God has it perfectly planned out. Verse 14, and the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. I feel like, you know, they're back there. They're awesome horses, but not quite as awesome. From his mouth comes a sharp sword and with which to strike down the nations and he will rule them with a rod of iron and he will tread the winepress of the fury, the wrath of God the Almighty on his robe and on his thigh he has the name written King of Kings and Lord of Lords. That's the baby. That's the baby. Revelation 22 Verse 1, then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the throne of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life that brings us all the way back to Genesis. The tree of life with which it's 12, with its 12 kinds of fruit yielding its fruit each month and the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it. <laughs> Remember this from a couple weeks ago? And his doulos will worship him. Remember if you were here? And his slaves will worship him. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. Night will be no more and they will need no light or lamp or sun for the Lord God will be their light and they will reign forever and ever. That's the baby. That's the baby. Hey, turn to Luke chapter one, would you? Luke chapter one. This month, uh, we enter the Christmas nativity season. And next Sunday and the three Sundays after that, we're going to be entering into Luke's, Luke chapters 1 and 2. And I have a question for you as you look at Luke chapter 1 there before you. Here's my question. How are you going to enter this? How are you going to enter this? Uh, let me rephrase it a different way. When you see the events of Christmas, when you see baby Jesus in the nativity, what do you see? 
a touching, sentimental 4 BC story? A spiritual tale? (laughs) Maybe you see holiday stress written all over it. Or maybe you see irrelevance equivalent to that of Frosty the Snowman. Do the math. Or how about this Christmas? You and I purpose ourselves to enter Luke chapters 1 and 2 ready to be awed. Ready to see all of redemption all coming down into this pinnacle moment because what would ha- is going to happen in the future would not happen in the future if this was not happening. And, and everything from the past, all the way from the very uh, moments, if you will, I don't know the time right after sin when God addressed Satan and the others, but it would, must have been soon right afterwards. All the way from there at the very beginning, if you will, of creation, so close to that time, here it is that all this points all the way to this point in time. This ain't no regular baby. How about we enter that way? I do want us to savor the holiday events. Uh, Embrace the cheer of the season. Build snowmen. Do those things. I don't want to be like, oh, it's so consumer today. Listen, whatever. Okay, it is. We all agree. But listen, let's make it about the baby. Okay, let's make it about the baby in this. Let's stay focused on him. Let's be consumed by the entirety of creation. All right there in the manger. (laughs) That the one coming on the horse. All right there in the manger. This baby rocks, friends. And let's not cartoon it. And let's not cuddle cozy it with the little drummer boy. Go ahead, watch the show. But be awed by the baby. That's the deal in this. Let's make this December an awesome December. And I don't think that's going to happen if we don't purpose our mind and purpose ourselves to be awed by God. That's what I'm asking. That we enter Luke chapter 1. Oh, God, bring it. Next Sunday, we're going to be studying uh, verses 1 through 25 in Luke chapter 1. I want to leave you with two applications. One is, I'd love for you just to spend some time this week reading those first 25 verses. And not just once, but again and again. Read them aloud. Read them together. Study them. But how cool would it be if next Sunday we all come together and we're like, oh man, I've already dug into this thing. And there's some cool things. Do you realize that there is a couple in these first 25 verses that basically for all practical purposes, the rest of their culture and the world around them, really they were losers. Sweet people. But social losers. And guess what? God uses losers. I'm so glad. Because friends, we're a room filled with losers. 
I'm sorry to break it to you. But God uses people like you and I, and we're going to savor the events because not only were they losers, but really Mary and Joseph, for many ways, compared to the whole social structure of things, they were too. Let's savor it. Secondly, I just want to ask this morning that you would consider making this month less about yourself and more about Jesus. Less about how big the tree is and the frustration of getting with family. Let's work to put more of that off, more of him on. And behold, Mary, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, and he will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David, (laughs) and he will reign. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. Lord God, I want to thank you for this time of the season. I think sometimes as believers, we can kind of uh, poo-poo all the events and the Christmas stuff and the consumerism and maybe the secularism going on. But God, I thank you for this time of the year. It's a time when everybody's just a little bit more aware that something's happened in history that is worthy of some dedicatedness. But God, I I would pray for us as a church. I really would. God, I would pray for us right here, right now, that we would be ones who are right now settling in our minds before you that that this December, that this Christmas season, we are going to work on being more awed by you than carried away by everything else. Lord, we want to enter into those things. But we want to enter in them completely awed, stunned, silenced by you and your awesomeness. The person of the birth was not only present at the time of creation, but the person of the birth represented in the manger picture was the one who created everything. The the one in the manger He was the one that all throughout history has been told about and you've added these uh, prophetic clues as to who it is all for the purpose of letting us know who the one is. That's why Christ and Christianity is so different because everything points to this baby. And this baby is going to be the one who comes on that horse. And this baby is the one who's going to be standing, sitting on the throne with the Father. Oh, God, help us to see the mighty, awesome, present glory 
of all of that in the manger. We need your help to get it, God, because we can't get it on our own. Blow us away. Oh, Lord, help us to adore you. In Christ's name we pray.